in the code base, somewhere in the code base, he had lined out this line that said, good luck with your shit. You guys made my summer hell. Welcome back to the Real Slim Fady Show. I am Fady Hawama, your host, and I am blessed and honored to have the great Ron Saharian here with me from Proper First. How are you, Ron? Great. Wow. The great Ron Saharian. Great, I, I don't right? know about that, Fatty, but <laughs> it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for uh, yeah. the invite. Yeah. Thank you. No, I mean, you're the most legit setup with your pot. I, I get jealous every time I talk to you because it just sounds so official. So you've got to be the, the great, right? It's the prime of the primes, bro. I don't, I, you know what? I got a, I got a death desktop phone on my desk here it's an antique <laughs> i don't think i've used a phone yeah besides a cell phone in years i don't even know why i still have it <laughs> hey they're fun to look at at least one of the wildest things about getting rid of the phones and moving on you cannot hang up on people with force anymore you know <laughs> you can't I... slam the phone you because when you hang up with someone and you slam the phone down you know back in the day on the handset right and you slam it that's when you know you, you can slam it but cell phones what are you going to do push the push the end button hard like you can't no but at least right right with the, right but at least with zoom you get the facial expressions that you know oh, yeah, yeah, just yeah of course slamming the phone yeah, down. yeah 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 but things kids these days won't have well it's well, funny what one of the i mean speak keeping it real we hire interns and give interns a shot or give them real jobs give them real work to do it's building the future entrepreneurs one of the tests we have two tests two elements of a test that we give each intern prior to them starting the first mm -hmm. one is address an envelope. Literally address an envelope. We do, a, we mail a lot of books, profit first. We do a lot of yeah. correspondence. We mail a lot of gifts, a lot of stuff like that. You'd be surprised. A lot of college kids don't know how to mail anything. Wow. The next is, do you know how to use a desktop phone? Wow. Literally. How do you do it? They, the kids coming out today don't even know the magic trick to hit number nine. Yeah. To get an <laughs> line. And, and that's not even that old. Right. Oh, and so, funny, yeah, yeah I, I remember one, um, one of our interns, she's like, oh my God, she was so excited because this was her first time using a desktop phone. Wow. Wow. She'll never yeah. forget that. You know, what's funny. One of my interns. So speaking of interns, yeah. I think this is, <laughs> I love this. I haven't told this story in a long time. One of the interns, and I agree with you. Interns are fantastic and every company needs to use them with real work. I yes, had an real work. Get them to do stuff. Yeah. I had an internship at Merrill Lynch. So I'm a finance undergrad. I had an internship at Merrill Lynch with a private wealth advisor. And he only managed people's wealth that were worth more than $10 million. So high, like high, high net worth. Yeah. And my job as an intern was literally to listen to all the reporting calls and earnings calls from the companies. Take notes that he never read. He never looked at. And sit and take notes during the meetings. I did nothing of value during my internship, but I got to put Merrill Lynch on my resume and I got to literally listen to phone calls. Yeah, it was a while. Yeah, absolutely. But that's the thing in these big companies when they hire mass that's what you get. interns. Yeah. yeah, that's what you get. The interns that we've been hiring over the past decade have been doing everything from helping us with global expansion to setting up our social media to managing it to even yeah. working remote when they go back to college. I mean, you find yeah. this is how you're going to get your future employees as well, too. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I would love to have some of those past interns when they get done graduating college come back 
right? Yeah. And so yeah. we had one intern, Sydney, and she was with us for four years. And her resume, I was reading her resume. I'm like, did you really do all of this stuff for us? <laughs> and she's like, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm awesome. proud to say that she got a job offer that I couldn't even touch. Couldn't yeah. even touch with salary. That's amazing. One of, one of the funniest things, the intern that I hired, the first intern that I hired for Clockwork, he was an engineer. He was a software computer science. And he actually came up to me and asked for an internship. I had nice. spoke at an event and he came up to me after and he's like, "I whatever you're doing, I went in. Is it possible for me to come in and at least intern for you guys? He goes, I won't graduate for a couple of years, but I want to eventually work, you know, at Clock. And I was like... Sure. I mean, we don't have any interns right now because all the work that we're doing is so high, high level and, and high stakes. We were building out the initial product and I was like, sure, I'll do it for you. And he came on and he was phenomenal. But here's the funny thing. This is the funny thing. We worked with an outsourced dev shop when we okay. first started Clockwork. They were a team out of Poland. Phenomenal team. Loved them. They literally built a lot of the, the MVP the intern had a horrible time working with them because one, the time difference and they'd super responsive to him and they weren't the greatest with English. I could communicate with them because I was working with the people that ran the firm, but he was right. working with the actual developers. He left his internship and in the code base, somewhere in the code base, he had lined out this line that said, good luck with your shit. You guys made my summer hell team blank and i'm not going to use the name of the outsource dev shop but he addressed them in a random line of code and there's millions of lines of code and he lines out this and i'm like man you are not getting a job offer <laughs> and the only way they found it one of the engineers was logging into the site the next day to do the work and it just it shows a preview text it just so happened that the preview text was on that one line of code that he lined out. And I was like, man, Sneaky. that is too funny. Sneaky. Sneaky. Interns. But the lesson is, interns, be smart. Like that kid now, he had a lot of potential. I could have hired him right out of college, but now no way would I ever hire. There's a lot of laws out there to hiring. But the first thing I do is is go to social media. When we were interviewing you, when I was talking to you about our partnership and what we're going to be doing and, and stuff like that, I'm sure we looked at each other's profile on, yeah, on LinkedIn, yep. on Facebook. We want to see who we're going to be working with. We want to see if yep. they're going to be human. We want to see if they're crazy. We want to see, are these guys legit? And to the younger folk out there, yeah, your digital presence does matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, call it a double standard. Maybe I have some stuff out there that I'm not so proud of, but hey, it is what it is. Yeah. I'm hiring now. Just be cautious of what you're putting out there. Yeah, 100%. I know the funniest thing, and I kind of want to, you hinted at it there. I'd love to, and I know we dove right into it, which I love always talking with you, Ron, where I was getting into the real. Tell me a little bit, super quick, one minute. What is Profit First? What do you guys do? Why it exists? Yeah, sure. So profit first is the ultimate cash flow methodology. It is not accounting. It is not bookkeeping. It is a system on how a business owner ensures that they're paying themselves first to ensure that they're profitable. And because they're profitable, you're going to have to pay taxes. So we ensure that the business owner is making more money. Okay, we ensure that they are profitable because with the profit, they can celebrate the health of the company, they can pay down their debt, they can hire, right? And they have money for Uncle Sam. That's what Profit First is. Profit First Professionals is the global organization that myself, the author of Profit First, Mike McCallowitz, co-founded to support the teachings in the book. 
what we are is we certify accounting firms in the profit first methodology, accounting firms, bookkeeping firms, and financial coaches. While profit first is conceptually simple, you want to make sure you're working with an expert on all things finances. So we've certified probably close to a thousand accounting firms throughout the globe to be experts in this specific methodology so that they can work with companies like Clockwork, they can work with companies, whether whether a plumbing company, whether you're a $100 million company, whether you're a startup. This is the missing system. So if you're a business owner and you're listening to this podcast, then maybe you haven't been paying yourself consistently. Maybe your expenses are a little out of control. Maybe you're not profitable. Maybe you have debt. Well, then we have the solution for you. And it's called Profit First. If anybody reaches out to you that has listened to this podcast and says, hey, Fatty, I'd love a copy of Profit First, I'll gift 10 copies of Profit First for the first 10 listeners wow. uh, to this podcast. All they got to do is say, hey, I'd love a copy of uh, Profit First, Fatty. You send me their email, I mean, their address. I'll be more than happy to mail it to them. It means that much to me. Wow, amazing. Thanks for that. I mean, that's so powerful, right? It also means it's why we are partnered, right? As of last week, I think we officially announced yeah. it. So this is super hot off the press. But that's why we partnered, right? You guys yeah. have the methodology. And I will say, this partnership didn't come from me emailing you and saying, hey, I want to partner, or from you emailing me and saying, hey, I want to partner. We have several profit-first accounting firms yep. on Clockwork, and they use Clockwork for their clients for all the FP&A, right? All the projections, cash flow, and everything. The more advanced and, stuff. The stuff that you guys are doing is the accountants and bookkeepers dream. It's yeah. helping them with translating the data, forecasting, projections. It's taking the available information and turning it into knowledge. I think that's a brilliant way to put it. And I'm going to steal some of that from some of our marketing, <laughs> yeah, <you're welcome. laughs> some of our marketing <laughs> material. But I will say that this partnership came from doing good work without expecting anything on the back end, right? When we work yeah. with the accounting firms, we didn't know what profit first professional and how powerful the organization was. And it was us just doing good work for our partners. And look at what came of it. I remember Rachel yeah. you know, in her accounting firm, when we we're talking about it, she's like, Hey, Ron, you got to check these guys out. And I get that every day. I get yeah. that every day. We're, we're one of the largest brands on small business profitability and everybody wants to sell into our membership. And so it's a very guarded membership. The relationship that are opened through our members is the ones that we really want to pursue because it's already been tested. I believe that partners should be based upon mutual understanding, respect, but also have to have confidence in what the other is doing, what the mm -hmm. other business is doing. Has that business succeeded? Has that business helped my customers? Is that business able to help other of my customers here, mm -hmm. right? What's in it for my customers? Not what's in it for me. Oh, How yeah. can I help my customers do a better job? And I think that's what really started the positive momentum because it was more about how you can help your customers customers more, how I can help my customers more. And we're both vendors to them when it comes yeah. down to it. And so yeah. now we're actually there. It's great. We call this the vendor. Well, when two awesome vendors are sharing a customer, mm -hmm. we happen to share Rachel, yeah. right? Yeah. So now you and I are friends and we're partners and we trust each other's in the great work. Now yeah. we can replicate that. So the vendor well is a, a wonderful opportunity for a business owner to expand what they're doing. 
mm-hmm. right? To align with a, another great brand mm-hmm. for double the effort in marketing. It makes things, and you have fun at the same time, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna push this a little bit. I'm gonna push this a little bit because all that is so spot on. The one thing that I drove me nuts in this industry when I was running my outsource CFO firm, working with QuickBooks Online and Zero, right? Those are the two main accounting softwares. It was this very incestual ecosystem that I was being thrown in with some of the accounting firms. I'm gonna use accounting firms loosely because I wouldn't even bucket them as accounting firms. some of the other tech solutions, some of the other tech vendors. And I found myself when I was initially launching Clockwork, I'm like, this seems so fake. Why is this little ecosystem so fake and full of shit? And there's people doing stuff that I would never do in a million years. Why are they successful? Why are they succeeding? And they're not. Yeah, they're not, they're not right? right? I know. Well, listen, we're, I'm not an accountant. Mike isn't an accountant. And we've oh. disrupted the accounting industry, the bookkeeping industry. Totally disrupted to the point yeah. where we were ostracized. We were made fun of. We're still pushing a boulder uphill. Many people yeah. don't agree with it. There's still a lot of pushback. And that's fine. And that's mm-hmm. great. There is the problem in the accounting industry where it's always been done the same way. That's how mm-hmm. we're going to continue to do it. The model is broken. The the partnership model is broken. The way its services are delivered is broken. And today's buyer of accounting services doesn't want to work with that. They want to work with a business advisor. There's a difference. The whole industry is talking about being a strategic advisor. And you already are a strategic advisor. But what we're looking for is business acumen right? Based upon your knowledge of working with X amount of customers in a business setting, what have you learned? What have you shared? What have you done to help the bottom line? And unfortunately, over the past 50 years, it's been commoditized. Anybody can be a bookkeeper. Anybody can be an accountant. And all you got to do is do this software. Yeah. Yeah. And none of that's true. Yeah. (laughs) And and none of it's true. And, and, And the commoditization of the accounting world in general is there have been a lot of good things that have come of it, right? There's been a lot of software that comes in and replaces stuff, but it's caused such an explosion of bullshit that's in the industry, in the market of people that are saying that they provide certain offerings, but they don't. People that are, I mean, I may get a lot of flack for this, but the largest organization, right? I'm not going to say their name, but it's the largest accounting organization. They're a nonprofit. They have (laughs) two board seats on a company that just raised $40 million and they're literally two board seats are owned by them. And this company is basically owned by them and they're being forced. All the accounting firms that are part of this organization are being force fed this to be nice, a subpar product because they've been around, they've shaken the right hands and kissed the right babies. And how can you be a nonprofit organization owning two board seats of a profitable company? That's accounting, right? That's what we've well, seen. Well, the, the whole audit accounting and audit industry is screwed. Look at no, the audit crazy. industry. I mean, you just look at all the BS. Audit's a joke. It's a yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah. Also, these heads of these larger accounting uh, institutions are also on a lot of the boards and dictating how the colleges are uh, training the next level. Yeah. You wonder why there's a shortage of accountants and bookkeepers coming on out because they haven't changed the system because the partners are the ones that are making all the money. It's, It's crazy. 
Now tell me, Ron, you've obviously, you've been around the game, you've been around the block, you know what this world looks like. What do you see is the biggest changing force that's happening in the accounting world that's necessary? And what do you see is the biggest changing force that's unnecessary? Uh, yeah, great question. So I, the biggest changing force that I've seen over the past 10 years has not been through technology, has not necessarily been through the accounting lens, but has been driven by the consumer, mm -hmm. right? We don't want our father's accountant. That's the yeah. biggest thing saying, I yeah. want more. Look at the turnover from accountant yeah. to accountant to accountant to accountant. There's probably more turnover these days from firm to firm to firm than there has been in the past 20 years. Why? Because you are a commodity for the most yeah. part, and yeah. it's easy for me to pick up my stuff and go somewhere else, and it's easy for me to evaluate somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. And so people are evaluating the accountants that have been you know, doing the same thing for the past couple of years. They're going to be done. They know it. The, those 60-year-old yeah. accountants, they're just buying time so they can sunset. Their staff yep. is going to be screwed, but they're going to be okay. And so yep. the biggest change has been coming from guys like me saying, I don't understand that. You're talking to me like I don't get it. And yep. what? I'm paying you. Yeah. So either you're going to talk to me how I understand, or yeah. you're going to work with me, or I'm finding somebody else, right? And so yeah. the, the biggest driving in the change has been the want of the business owner and those software companies like yours and others have been hearing that. They're quick to react. So it starts with the consumer, then the software people saying, huh, I hear this is what's going on, creating product, giving it to the accounting firm, teaching them how to use it, right? To be more consultative to them, right? And that's great, that's one. But the problem too, Fatty, is I've seen over the past 10 years, a lot of these software companies are coming up and they're going out, they're being acquired, they're falling. Look at the banks. There's a lot yeah. of apps that have come out over the past you know, 10 years, right? Thousands upon thousands. It's crazy. I'm looking for now, not now, my accounting firm, they have to be technologists. They have to understand yeah. technology. They have to come to me with their preferred technology stack. They have mm -hmm. to come to me with their set of tools and tell me how they're going to use tools to make a difference to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And so it's not the accounting industry that's changing this stuff. And the accounting industry wouldn't change if they didn't have to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's guys like us driving the business, guys like you that are listening, creating products to help those yeah. businesses. The accounting firms just happen to be the pipeline that you're using it and I'm using it through. Yeah. And you said so many super powerful things there. One of the things that you said that rang a bell with me is all the softwares that are coming out, they're selling and then they turn to shit. I can't tell you how many times I've been on sales calls. One of the discovery questions that I get asked is... Where are you guys going to be? What are your goals for the company? What are you guys? And I'm like, I want IPO clockwork. Clockwork is not a pump and dump scheme where I'm just going to cash out 50 million and then screw everyone that's ever signed up for clockwork. Yeah. And literally just last week, I closed a deal and the guy was like, I've never heard someone actually give me that answer. He goes, usually, uh, uh, yeah. it's a, usually some bullshit answer of, 
what they want to do with the company, but no one's ever in it for the long run. And yeah, that's and, a and huge issue. It, it is a huge issue. And that's one of the things we have selected partners and the way we evaluate our partners is a little, I shared a little bit about that. I don't have sponsors or vendors. They're partners. They're, they're woven into the framework of what we do here. And you're learning that. And it takes some time for us to learn what each other's do, how we can best do this and grow. And so having a handful of trusted partners that I'm looking to develop long-standing relationships, that's, I think, how I can best support the buyers of what I'm selling, right? And, and a lot of it is, I always ask, you know, where are you getting your money, right? How are you financed, right? If you're a startup, I take a look at your partners, take a look at this, and also, what's your goal, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, that's a very important question. Right. Because now if you were to say, Hey, Ron, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to sell this bad boy in two years. Then I know the effort is not going to be in the cultivation of relationships yeah. of your partners. It's going to be yeah. market share. Right. And it's, I'm just going to be a number in that yeah. market share. Yeah. No, asking questions that are intended to look around the corners. Is, yeah, is a yeah. lost art, right? Yeah, I mean, that really has been a game changer for clockwork, I think, is, you know, everyone, the FP&A market is insane right now. FP&A, financial planning analysis, the, the software industry, especially with the push in AI, right? Clockwork AI is not AI because it's the flavor of the month. Clockwork AI was formed five and a half years ago, or before AI was the cool kid on the block. And I've had this vision for clockwork forever, for absolutely ever. And I think one of the most significant things that I've learned is don't sell yourself short just to make a dollar. I could have done clockwork super cheaply and exited several years ago. But what does that do for me? What does that do for the people that I'm helping and I'm changing? People thought I was full of shit when I told them I'm going to change the world with my software. There are yeah, companies that are signing up for clockwork that don't go out of business because they use clockwork. You want to talk about changing, you want to talk about chills when you talk to customers and they're like, I don't have to lay off these five people. That's five families that do not have to go affected because the business has changed because they have the data, because they can see what is around the corner, right? As you yeah. said, and they can see it with technology for a few hundred bucks. Whereas I would charge them $10,000 as a CFO you know, there's no way. Yeah, there's no way that technology people are always talking about well, AI is going to ruin this. It's not. You have no the Internet is barely 40 years old. Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? The Internet? The Internet didn't ruin anything. The Internet has changed the world in so many. There's always negative for everything, but yeah, it's changed the world in so many positive ways. And so is AI. AI is not understood by 99.9% .9 of the people in the world. The same thing when you start yelling profit first. Right. Profit first. What about people first? Why would profit come first? They, yeah. just don't, they, they don't get it. Right. He didn't exactly say this, but as a business owner, we have responsibilities. And uh, in my opinion, a real business owner is responsible for their staff's families. And what yeah. you said was very important. Right. You've got staff. You've got customers. You've got people that are looking out for your livelihood. Have you ever, has anybody ever worked for a non, not a nonprofit, but a company that wasn't profitable? It's a horrible experience. No one wants to work in an area like that. No one also wants to work in a company where they know that the goal of the business owner is to just get it stock price as high as it can be and then dump it.
Yep. And then get get rid of it. And everybody below them doesn't like that. Maybe a yep. few will get some pieces of the action, but most of the, the rank and file, they, they're not going to get any of it. And they're really not happy in the situation. I don't care what they tell the boss. Yeah. Right. You want to work for a company where the boss is proud to be profitable, where they're innovative, where they care, where they're investing in, in themselves, in their companies, in their customers, and they're forging meaningful partnerships, like meaningful where, hey, listen, this could have some real impact on the world. And that's the key. And that's why I invented Clockwork to focus on the companies that no one gives a shit about, yeah. right? Everyone wants to build companies for the highly unprofitable, VC-backed, we've raised $100 million because we can't pay our own bills, and we're valued at $2 billion when we have literally $10 in revenue. That's 1% of the entire yeah. population of companies. Not everybody's going to be a group on a Facebook, a LinkedIn. No. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So statistically speaking, your business is going to fail. A hundred percent. And yeah. everyone's focused on solving their pains, their problems. Why are people not solving the companies that are profitable? Why are people not solving solutions for companies you know, that it's, have it's 30, 40, 50 people, 30, 40, 50 families that they're supporting? Right. I love and that's, that. That's where we align. That's where we yeah, are. Yeah, that's funny. It's like um, when we're managing, we're taught to manage, say, I've, I've run sales organizations and there's a tendency to help the, low, the poor performing salespeople get to the next level, right? And that's just not a great move. That's not a good move because the A players are going to support that yep. business three times as much, right? Yep. Well, you're saying the same thing. In yeah. essence, we should not necessarily be focused on the bottom of the barrel, right? Yeah. But we should be focusing on the great companies because it's going to be that much more lucrative. And I tell accounting firms when I'm teaching them all the time, have your standards, have your floor pricing, have your I'm not going to go below, not going to do this, not going to work mm -hmm. in this industry, not going to do that and, and stick to it. But I mean, we've all started businesses where we've take what what's in front of us. 100%. But when you, yeah, when you take what's in front of you, next minute you're living in a bed that you're not happy about, right? So have the courage to say no. Have the courage to forego a little bit of blood money, if you will, yeah. right, for the right opportunity. And I find that when we turn down opportunities that may be okay, a better one usually emerges. Yeah. I mean, you have to be true to yourself, I think. So I've fundraised, right? I raised $2 million from a VC out of Boston and phenomenal partner. They are the most refreshing venture capital firm I've ever spoken mm -hmm. to, let alone worked with. Right. And when I was meeting with them previously, I had pitched over 100 VCs just to find a seed. You know, we're talking $2 million a year, right? $2 million is a lot, but like $2 million is nothing in the grand scheme of things. Right. Not in the VC world. Right. And I pitched over a hundred firms and every single time they want to drag my story into some other way that they find sexy. Like when I tell them I'm focused on this market, they're like, no, 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 you should be on this market. And I'm like, maybe I should be on this market. And then I start questioning myself and I start questioning my vision. And then I start questioning and I'm like, well, shit, if I sold to that market or if I focused on that, yeah, I'd have the two, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to go you know, and do it's that. It's the hardest thing, and you're, you're doing a great job. It's saying no to opportunity. I face that a lot of times, and people are saying to you, Fatty, hey, you're leaving money on the table. You're leaving money on the table. You're leaving money on the table. Yeah. I'm okay with that, too, because... I'm picking money up on that table that you might not see over there. Or and that's hey, the there's key. a lot more money over on that table that I'm on my way to pick up. Yeah. Just because you 
key. You think I'm leaving this here? Fine. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. Yeah. I'm I'm cool with leaving money on a table because you don't know what I got going on over there. And I'm not and you're spot on. And I'm not a saint, right? I took some of that temptation sometimes and I'm like, oh shit, all right. I'm gonna go and do this. And I took that little bit of money and I'm like, in six months, I'm like, fuck. I made the stupidest, you're an idiot. What did you do this decision for? Why'd you go down this path? And then you have to put your tail between your legs, accept what you did wrong and go back to what you and realign yourself on what you have your vision for. And Jeff Bezos as controversial, you know, some people love him, some people hate him. I I love him. I'm in the love camp. I'm a huge Jeff Bezos fan. I'm in all the love billionaire camps. You know, these guys are creative. I don't care. (laughs) One of the things that he says that tattooed in my mind is be firm on the vision, but be flexible on the details. Yeah. And I've taken that into account so many times with clockwork where at first I would completely mess that up. I would be firm on the details and not the vision and I'd let some people influence my vision. Mm. The only success that I've seen in clockwork is when I got back to being firm on my vision, on what I wanted to go after. The details will always fall into place. There's also a difference between holding to your vision and not being open to Mm -hmm. other things, right? So you're not saying you're not open, you're saying, hey, I've been open and I've been persuaded only to be not true to myself, and now I've realized and I'm gonna be true to myself. I'll hear, I'll listen, and that's the thing. I'm open to everything. I'm willing to bend my mind. I'm willing to change Mm -hmm. if it makes the right decision. What do I know? I'm really the smartest person in any room. So if somebody can say, hey, listen, dude, there's another way to do something that might be a little bit more beneficial, I'm gonna listen, I'm not, too proud? There's no way. <laughs> yeah. And, and and for me, one of the very first conversations I had with one of my super trusted fellow entrepreneurs, and we're talking six years ago now, five, six years ago, we had this conversation when I was just forming what eventually became Clockwork. This was before I even had the name of Clockwork in my head. And I told him the vision and the mission for Clockwork is to change how businesses operate. And he was like, okay, well, if we're going to work together, I need to know that is not going to change. And he literally wrote it on his whiteboard in his living room. And he goes, the mission for Clockwork is to change how businesses operate. And I'm like, yes. And he goes, that will never change. I said, no. And he goes, okay, everything else that we do will change. And everything else that we talk about will change. The design will change. The product will change. The marketing will change. The the emails, the team, everything will change. He goes, but that will not change. And I said, yes, that will not change. And we're talking six plus years ago. And at the time, I'm like, why the hell is this guy asking? I'm like, dude, shut up. I'm like, I do what I like, let's walk through what I want to walk through. And he was like, and it was one of the most profound conversations that I had with him. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that will never change. And it was important for him to know that I won't change that. And when you bring on other people and work with other people, they need to know you're not full of shit. They need to know you're going to be true to what you're after. Yeah, and it all starts with us, right? We got to walk the talk. And again, I think that empathy is the new superpower these days. Really being able to relate to personal situations. I also believe that in the fusion of work and life, not work and life, but together we are one people. We live one life. And so I think that the more advanced the 
workers are with working from home and technology and everything. I think the business owner, guys like you and I have to be more advanced, that we have to be more understanding and get it. And so designing profit first professionals to be a family first environment is going to lead to retention. It's going to lead to more profitability. It's going to lead to better successful client engagements. And so I think that this COVID thing has really helped some, but also hurt others. And I think that those that are more understanding and fluid with Mm -hmm. lives and business in general, those are the companies that are going to succeed. They really are. I mean, you're spot on. And the one thing that I would do to carry that is I have always, and I've seen this across many other entrepreneurs, is empathetic was always taken as weak yeah there's a very fine line between being weak as a leader and being empathetic and i think there are so many people that make horrible business decisions because they're so empathetic and they think that oh my gosh i'm being empathetic and i can't tell my company the bad news or i can't tell them in three months and six months we're running out of cash and we're going out of business and being empathetic means you have to make hard decisions that affect people that will help a lot more people. There's a very, very big difference. And I think way too many people that are starting companies now, and, and quite honestly, not just, you don't have to be an entrepreneur to know this and, and live by it. Right. You have to know that your tough decisions, whether you're making tough decisions for your family, for your friends, for your business, tough decisions have to be made. And you have to make them swiftly and without regret, because if it's gonna affect the impact, you're fucking everyone. Yeah. And that's the beauty and the curse of profit first, right? It'll tell you by implementing profit first, it'll tell you immediately if hard decisions need to be made and what those hard decisions probably are. Most of the time it's an overabundance of staff. Mm-hmm. Right. And yep. I remember um, Jamie Diamond, he's the president of uh, JP Morgan. I believe he was doing a keynote speech at Harvard many years ago, and they were talking about um, employee loyalty. And um, he was talking about a situation where there was a, a guy that they let go, that he's been around the block for 20 years. And they're like, well, why'd you let him go? You're not being loyal to him. He's been a good employee for 20 years. He's like, well, yeah, he has been a good employee for 20 years, but over the last couple of years, he's been sleeping and that he hasn't been doing handling his weight and by me keeping unproductive uninterested burnt out type of uh, employees I'm not being loyal to all of you not just you got to be loyal to the company not necessarily loyal to the individual and that's a very hard decision to make often the companies the employees that we start out with are not going to be the employees that are there in year five Uh, or year three yeah yeah right right (laughs) i've had to make that horrible right decision to let people go that just there was no more seats on the bus and they just weren't growing at the clip we were and while it's one of the hardest decisions i've had to make it was the right one yeah you use the analogy of a bus i for me i always tell the team clockwork is a train the faster that clockwork gets the more that we grow the faster you have to grow and if you can't keep up with the train you're going to get run over by the train i like that yeah so yeah no you're right you see it yeah when you're moving and you're moving and you're moving it's like this is the only company i've ever started and run i mean i've run other companies but it's different when you're starting something from scratch and you're seeing the dynamics of people not moving as fast as the company is growing. It's it's yeah. kind of awkward. It's, yeah, it's awkward. The key thing is momentum. When yep. you start building on a train, when a train is up and running, it has momentum. 
to slow that thing down, it takes a lot of energy. And if you have people that aren't keeping up, that will slow that momentum down very dramatically. And then um, it's even harder to get it started again because exactly. that thing weighs a ton now. Exactly. So that's yeah. exactly, that's the vision for the train, right? And that's, I tell every single one of the clockwork team members, and I hate the companies that say they're a family. I think companies that come out, oh, we're family, we're family. You're not a family. You're a right. company. You work with We're family other. first. Yeah. There's a difference. A hundred percent. But especially like the cutthroat tech companies that come out yeah, and try like, and be like, like oh, we're all unicorns yeah. and rainbows. And... Oh, we're with you. We love you. We're a family. Yeah. It's us against everybody. It's yeah. our locker room against everybody else. Yeah, all... yeah. Yeah. I think every single company that has ever said we're a family, it doesn't exist anymore. All in, the ones unless that are coming out. Unless there's a lot of nepotism going on, right? Yeah. <laughs> unless they're actually a family. Yeah. <laughs> we're already almost 45 minutes, which is insane. This is, this is right. by far going to be one of the longer longer episodes thank you so much this was phenomenal we're definitely going to have you back on again because i know that we can talk for hours tell everyone where they can find you how they can get you where to check out profit first yeah awesome then thank you it's been it's been my pleasure you can go to profitfirstprofessionals.com on there there's a ton of free resources i'm on linkedin that's probably the best um way to connect with me i'm also on facebook linkedin start up a conversation love to know love to hear your thoughts about the interview check out profit first like i mentioned i've got 10 free books uh for fatty's listeners and um yeah man i'm excited about the partnership i'm excited about working with you and your team and uh looking forward for you coming you and your team coming into beautiful new jersey yeah awesome and thank you so much for the generous offering so yeah let me know any of the listeners that want uh, one of those copies I'll, I'll be more than happy to connect you with ron and thank you everyone for checking out the real slim fady show again and we will check you next time <laughs>